be back from vacation. Thanks again for Brett for filling in. He filled in two out of the last three weeks, and you guys probably thought, man, I knew Jimmy was part-time, but he's like, never here anymore. No, uh, I, I know my dad had a heart attack, and I went back to Wisconsin. I was grateful for Brett for filling in then, and, and the vacation was planned. So we had our reservations and went out to Yellowstone for a few days, and uh, if we got anything out of that trip is the next time we go on a trip, it's without the kids, for sure. So uh, that's kind of, the kids are great, but we're going to go without them, somewhere, somehow. Have you ever, ever traveled without your kids? It's like you never want to go back, I'm sure, right? M maybe I shouldn't go somewhere without them, because then we'll, we might never have a family trip again, I don't know. Um, so two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we went, we started the second chapter of Ephesians. We're in the second chapter, and uh, we went through the first three verses, which pretty much we talked about as be in your BC days, you're, uh, you're in your, you know, you're suffering, you're in your debts, you know, you're in your, uh, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and you're walking in the ways of the world, and you're really desiring the flesh and everything that the flesh brings out, and, um, as we were dead in our trespasses, you know, we're world-driven. We're driven strictly by the world. What seems good or bad is just on us. It's important for us to remember that we're born into this fallen world, born into sin, and our goal as Christians is to make God known and to make Him look good. So we don't want to confuse these verses, though, with works. And many people will teach something, uh, you know, you might have heard of a theology called hyper-grace. And uh, we talk about that in uh, Bible studies a lot, hyper-grace, which... If I have to kind of shortly define it, it means you're covered with so much of God's love and grace that you're just free to sin as much as you want. And sin isn't really that big a deal at all. And um, that's the theology that's out there. And it's, I think it's really, um, it's really detrimental to what the, the Word of God says. And um, that's why we go through it verse by verse. But sin, it, it, it is a big deal. And we think about it in our own lives and I think about maybe, you know, maybe if you're a kid, a teen, a parent, a grandparent, no matter where you're at or ma no matter where you're at in your stage of life, you have someone in your life that you love so much and they love you that you don't want to disappoint them, right? Yeah, I think back to when I was a kid and I would mess up and or not only when I was, I was upset because I'm sitting on my bed, I'm getting in trouble, but after the reflection, I realized I actually, I actually disappointed my mom and dad. I disappointed my father. I disappointed my mother. And, but sometimes we're only remorseful because we got caught, right? We're remorseful because we got caught in our, in our act, in our sin. And it's not that we have disappointed anyone with the act itself. It's truly, it's a matter of your heart. And today we're going to dive into the matter of the heart. So we kind of had like the bad news in verses 1 through 3 and how we are dead in our trespasses. And now we're going to get the good news here in verses 4 through 9. I know, five verses today. And... Um, we're going to talk about how, God's, how God works for us and in us. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 and then, and then start, start talking on them. And I'm going to try to go kind of quick today. I know we, uh, we have communion and things went a little long, so I'll be mindful of that. Uh, but God, who is rich in mercy because of, because of His great love, that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. So the first three verses talk about our sin and how we disappoint our God, our Father in heaven. But now we read the good news 
Verse 4, the focus of the attention now is on God, not the sinful man. He's, uh, Paul's switching in here. Salvation, of the, salvation is of the Lord in Jonah 2.9. We are reminded of the activities that God performed on behalf of sinners to save them from the consequences of their sins. All our actions have consequences, right? Whether good, whether bad. And God's stepping in here to save the sinners from the actions, from the consequences of their sins. He loved us, in verse 4, by nature. God is love, 1 John. But God would love even if there were no sinners. Because love is a part of His very being, that's why. Theologians call love one of God's attributes. But God has two kinds of attributes that we'll talk about today that He possesses of Himself. One is intrinsic. The intrinsic attributes such as uh, life, love, holiness, those, God, that's, that's Him. He is life. He is love. He is holiness. He is all those things. He's so much more. But those are three things He definitely is for sure. And those by which He relates to, this, to His creation, especially to man, are called relative attributes. For example, by nature, God is truth. But when He relates to man, God's truth becomes faithfulness. God is by nature holy, and when He relates that holiness to man, it becomes justice. It becomes justice. Love, I'll kind of explain this a little bit. I was a little fast, but love is one of God's intrinsic attributes. But when this love is related to the sinner, it becomes grace and mercy together. It's, these riches make it possible for sinners to be saved. This is key right now. It's, it's His attributes that allow us that opportunity to come to Him. It comes as a shock to some people that when they discover that they are not saved by God's love, but by God's mercy and grace. You hear that all the time. You, you see that on Facebook. You hear it in the news. God loves everybody so much, everybody's going to heaven. We're not, we're not saved by, by God's love. We, 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 or we discover that we are not saved by God's love, but by God's mercy and grace, something we don't deserve. In His mercy, He does not give us what we do deserve. In His mercy, He does not give us what we do deserve. And in His grace, He gives us what we do deserve. All of this made possible because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was at Calvary that God displayed His hatred for sin but also His love at the same time for sinners. Grace, the definition of grace, the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. That's grace. Mercy, adjectives used to describe mercy, compassion, kindness. Uh, legally speaking, you can, it can be used as a pardon, to pardon somebody, right? You hear someone being uh, pardoned of a crime and... Um, and, and, and they can be pardoned. That's, that's mercy. Uh, read on to verse 5. It made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. This means He has made us alive even when we were dead in our sins. He accomplished the spiritual resurrection by the power of the Spirit. Using the word, in the four Gospels, it is recorded that Jesus raised three people from the dead. The widow's son, Jesus' daughter, and Lazarus. In each case, he spoke the word and gave life. He spoke it and he gave life. Life was 
spoken into them. The Word of God is living and powerful, Hebrews 4.12. There are three physical resurrections. These these three physical resurrections are pictures of the spiritual resurrection that comes to the sinner when he hears the Word and believes, John 5.24. But our spiritual resurrection is much greater that it puts us in union with Christ. God made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. As members of the body, we are united to Him so that we share His resurrection, life, and power. In verse 6, together with Jesus Christ, He also raised us up, seated us in the heavens. He raised us up. He exalted us. We are not raised up from the dead and left in the graveyard. You know, sometimes you think like, well, these guys are raised from the dead. Now what? Do you think they just laid back down? <laughs> Lazarus is like, well, good. I, okay, I'm, I was comfortable here, so I'm going to lay back down. No, we're, we're not being left in that graveyard. Jesus' first instructions when Lazarus was raised from the dead was, unbind him, let him go. Unbind him, right? Let him go, let him go about things. That's okay. Think about that. The words, unbind him, or let him go. Sure, he was wrapped up in a protective cloth as they did in those days when they're dead. But think of the metaphor like for me and you, the saints at Ephesus, the saints at Hills of Grace. In your B.C. days, you were bound to this sin, to this worldly desires. But now you're unbound, free, free to let go. You are free from that condemnation that we spoke about a few weeks back when we talked about being dead in our trespasses and sin. This should spark us. It should jolt us. Yes, jolt us, like. We're being electrocuted in a way, in a good way. Jolt us to live a life pleasing to our Father in heaven, not because we want to earn our way to heaven. This is where things get so confused for some folks. Well, if I do all that, I'm just trying to work my way there. It's workspace salvation. You're talking about workspace. No, 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 no. Not because we want to earn our way to heaven to be with Him, but to glorify Him and make Him look good. I know we're just lowly, lowly seed planters on this earth, but how neat will it be to get to heaven and find out that we had something to do with someone else finding Christ and becoming saved? I heard this uh, podcast once, and I think I talked about it before, The Bama Seed of Christ, B-E-M-A. You should search that, Google it, listen to that sermon. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. But they, um, they bring people up on stage before Christ, and they're talking. And, and significantly, I remember that you know, someone stands up, and they say, this man here was responsible for these 500 over here that were saved because this, this person was faithful and went out and preached here, there, and there, and all these people came to Christ. And so he would stand up and he would say, here's this person. Who is in heaven today because of this person? And all these people over here stood up and the people in the back stood up. It's like a big stadium. And some people stood up, some people didn't. And then they said, okay, now I'm bringing this person on stage. Who's responsible? And other people stood up. How neat would it be to, like, in heaven one day, KC stands up. She's up here, and, and uh, they look into the crowd. All right, who's responsible? Who's here today because KC had something to do with it? She preached the word until you. She prayed for you, and, and people stand up. And you say that for each one of you, right? How neat would that be? The person you talk to at work, on the street, on a motorcycle, where you stopped, where you went, who knows? You are, we are planting seeds. That's what we are. We're seed planters. We are seed planters. Jesus came to this earth, took the penalty for our sins on the cross, died, 
but raised again to defeat death to be able to extend the entire world at, as a chance at forgiveness for their sins. Unbelievable grace that we do not deserve. That's, think about that. We have this chance to accept Christ and follow him. That's grace. Because what do we deserve? Anybody? We, we deserve death. We deserve hell. We do not deserve to go to heaven with, with Jesus. Only Jesus belongs in heaven because he's perfect. If we have broken even one of the Ten Commandments ever in our lives, everyone's like, ever? Yeah. It's impossible standard to meet, right? It's, it's, it's impossible. Without Christ, we would have to stand before God one day and he'd run down, he's going to run down a list of our sins like a rap sheet in a courtroom. We're just going to stand there, no reply. And if we were going there on our own, we would be convicted of breaking all of the Ten Commandments multiple times. We'd have no defense. But if we have placed our faith and trust in Christ alone for our salvation, then we will be welcomed in. So maybe you're asking, but I, I think I'm a Christian, but I still sin. Well, how does that happen? I still make mistakes and I do things unpleasing to God. Well, guess what? So do I. So do you. So does everybody. You see leaders up here. They're, and but, th but there we go. We've we got to make sure we don't go back into hyper grace. Oh, it's okay. We, we, you know, we've got to make sure. Here's the catch, if, if there is one. Uh, when a born-again believer in Jesus Christ sins, they're saddened by it. They're saddened by it. They have a desire to say, I don't want that in my life. I can't believe that just happened. I can't believe I just spoke to this person this way. I can't believe I just did that. And they're disappointed and they reflect and they want to turn away. They want to repent of that. And they want to grow closer in holiness. They do everything in their humanly power to avoid those tempting situations that lead them to that desire. They do everything in their power. When they feel the power of the flesh and the sin about to take place, they reach out in prayer to God. Or they call somebody, they text somebody, a brother or sister in Christ. They ask for prayer. They ask for help. We can't do this alone. Or we ask them to get coffee. Everybody like coffee, right? I don't. I'll drink something else. But, but I will meet you for coffee. If you want to meet for coffee, I'll just get something else. Um, just this week, just this week, I heard of a, or a Christian. doesn't go here. I don't, I don't even know the young man. But, um, but, I, um, but I was told of something he was struggling with, and they were asking me to pray for this guy. And, uh, it, but I was asked by my brother to give advice. He's like, what should advice should I give this young man? And uh, here's kind of his story. He's a young man who is single, spending the day in full devotion to, to the Lord, like in his work, in his Bible studies. He's like on the, on the outside, he would he'd be like any of us. He looked completely normal. Praising God, yeah, that dude's a believer. You would have no idea that he was struggling with something. And even he's even in multiple Bible studies a week. So on paper, legit dude. He hangs out with a group of Christians who I personally know, and, but they're trying to help him because at night, he's leaving his house. He's a younger man. I think, I think they said he's in his 20s, or early 20s. Uh, but he's leaving his house and meeting up with like young ladies that he meets and talks to. And, and he's committing sexual sin. He does this a few times a week, apparently. So I don't know the young man, but my suggestion to my brother in Christ who is reaching out for me for advice on what to coach him or what to tell him, and I said, well, here's kind of what I thought. The young man needs to keep Christ. We talked about this just two weeks ago. He needs to keep Christ at the center of our minds. I know it's easier said than done, 
But I'm reminded that sin manifests. And it's very often it manifests so deeply that the premeditation of sin happens long before the act even takes place. This young man is probably not caught by surprise that he leaves his house and go acts out against God. Oops, I slipped and fell. Here I am. Right? No, no. It, maybe it manifests with a show he's watching the night before, the morning before, the afternoon, or he throws out a text to this young la- lady. We have to stop the sin in its tracks. I know I bring up food a lot, but often, this is where I get bad, Let, or let's pretend food is sin. It's not. Let's just pretend. Um, I'm watching TV, and it, especially when you're watching football, just amazing food commercials that come on. And so here I am, I'm watching this, and you see that you got the pizza, and someone's grabbing a piece, and the cheese, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? The cheese just leaves the pizza, and uh, you're not eating grains or anything or cheese, so whatever. But um, I'm not right now. <laughs> Gosh. So, so this pizza is on a commercial, and so I see that TV commercial, and then I, oh, it looks so good. It goes back to the game, and then it's on again, of course. comes on again. And so here I start thinking of that delicious pizza with the cheese pulling apart. And it's manifesting in my mind for hours. I can almost taste it. Then I see the commercial again, maybe for a third time. And, then, and, then, and my wife will say around 3, 3.30 on a Sunday, hey, uh, what would you like for dinner? You want me to cook something? Being the considerate gentleman that I am, I say, you know what? You work hard enough. Why don't I order some pizza? And I give, so I've been, I've been, that, that, we're getting, remember, it's not sin, but we're pretending it is for a minute, right? And um, so here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of this sin almost for hours and hours, and now I'm going to act out on it. I'm going to order it, almost with permission of my wife. And, uh, but it's, you know, we get this craving, we feel we must have it, you know, and almost like we're entitled to it. So it manifests right there, and it continues. It doesn't go away. You know, sometimes you even t- t- tell yourself, well, it's not going to go away anyway. I might as well just eat it. Right? Who's done that before? Yeah, I mean, don't think about ice cream. If you're going to think about it, you might as well just eat it, right? So, so you give yourself that permission to eat it, <coughs> and then you go from there, and then you eat it. Well, we do that with sin. Well, man, if it's just going to keep being on my mind, so this young man, I don't, again, I don't know him, and I, I just gave advice to a young man who's going to talk to him, a buddy of his, and I, but... If he's continuing to, if that temptations are there, and, I mean, he's probably having those temptations at, let's just say he's meeting up with these ladies at 11 o'clock at night. He's probably thinking about it at 3 in the afternoon, right? I mean, he has hours and hours of this manifestation before it comes to fruition. So, back to the pizza. If I were trying not to eat pizza, what could I do when temptation arose? I could ask my wife to talk me out of it. I could ask her if, uh, to make a great chicken salad that I could eat instead. <sighs> or maybe she distracts me and we go to the park and play. We go do something else, right? We say, you just want to go to the park? We go for a walk, we'll come back and blah, blah, blah. You know, so, when, so back to this young man, I told my friend that is a brother in Christ that he must step up and confront this brother and tell him that he's living in this unrepented sin. It's not okay, that even though the young man is remorseful for it, he actually says he is. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Help me. He continues the behavior over and over again. Ever have, ever have someone treat you a certain way and then apologize? 
then just swears to never do it again? Three days la la or, or later, it happens again, right? Or three weeks later, or three months later. It's like, that's kind of what happens so sometimes in marriages and friendships and stuff. People, th or that was the stain of our early marriage. My, and my wife and I were married in our BC days, before Christ. We were always fighting about the same things. I would promise not to treat her this way. She would promise not to treat me that way. It was a very unpleasing time, trust me. I would say I was sorry, but come on. Even as non-believers at the time, my wife knew I wasn't sorry because I continued to do the same things over and over again. I'd say I'm sorry and a week later, no, but I'm, but I'm sorry. How could you possibly believe that I'm sorry if I'm constantly doing it again? Again, it'd be like me saying I'm on a diet from caramel rolls, but I have a caramel roll every day. I'm going to start again tomorrow. I feel so sad that I ate that caramel roll, but I'm having one tomorrow morning for breakfast. I can't continue to have the things if I'm on the diet. Back to the story. So the young man must have an accountability partner, right? That he can, I, I don't want to think about those caramel rolls. <laughs> Audrey's going to try to bring me one this week. It's not going to happen. I'm going to look at it and make you eat it. Back to the story. This young man must have an accountability partner. He has to somebody he can reach out. When you're trying to do these things alone, it's, it's really hard. When the original thought or temptation of sin begins to enter his mind, he needs to have somebody he can call. Somebody. That is where the believers, that is where as believers, we're all at these different stages in our walk, our sanctification process. Talked about that a few weeks ago. So look around. Think, think about your Bible studies. Think, think about people around you. Think, think about folks in this fellowship. Who do you know who could help you? When you, need a, when you need help, when you need someone just to talk to for five minutes, someone who could text you back and forth about something. You don't even have to be specific about the sin. You could pray to the Lord, yes. That, that's what I always recommend doing first. But reach out to somebody. Don't fall into the trap that many do. They're looking around to only help somebody else with their sin, but never truly look at the mirror and see what's going on in their lives. So wrapping up my thoughts on verse 6. Because we are united to Christ, we have been exalted with Him and we are sharing His throne in the heavenlies. Our physical position may be on earth, but our spiritual position is in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Like Lazarus, we have been called from the grave to sit with Christ and enjoy His fellowship. We're here to enjoy His fellowship. We should be enjoying Christ. We want to be in fellowship with Him. But just like we can't be in fellowship in a way with our spouses if we're constantly lying to them and constantly being rude to them, how on earth does God see us when we're just, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore, God. And you just, we, we do it again and again and again and again. We have to, we have to kind of work at that, don't we? we? We can't earn God's grace. No, no, no. But the, again, the hyper grace is where do whatever you want. It's no big deal. You're going to heaven when you die. I don't know. I don't want to stand before God one day and have this big, long list of stuff. I want to, if there's things that with prayer and with help from brothers and sisters in Christ around me, I want to take some things out of my life that I know I can, I can help. And God will help me and my friends and they'll help me with those things. I'm going to dive into verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ. Verse 8, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not 
from yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works. No man can boast. These are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. One of my buddies has this on his car. And uh, Ephesians 2.8, and he, he wanted to get dash 9, but they didn't have enough room. But, uh, but people ask him, and he just like, and he just, they're like, what does that mean? Everyone sees John 3.16, and they, even non-believers kind of know what it means. But they see Ephesians 2.8, and they're like, what, is that, what does that mean? And, and he gets to, uh, it happens when he gets out of his car all the time, and he'll get to talk to folks about it. Well, here's what it means. We're saved by this grace, but we have this faith in Christ. Nothing we can do. There's no works that we can do to earn it. God loves us. We trust in Him alone for our salvation. And He gets a chance to witness to them. It's, what a great reminder every time He gets into His car. But anybody who's driving can see that and pull it up. I wonder what that is. Hopefully they're not the ones driving and, and looking it up on their phone. But maybe the passenger, hey, honey, what does that F-28 F mean? Do you have any idea what that is? And they're like, what? I don't know. And if they're not believers, oh, maybe that's a Bible verse. And then, you know, and they, they go ahead and look it up. God's purpose is in our redemption is to not simply to rescue us from hell. As a great work that that is, that's amazing. He rescues us from what we deserve. His ultimate purpose in our, is our salvation is that for all eternity, the church might glorify God's grace. So that if God has an eternal purpose for us to fulfill, He keeps us for all eternity. Since we have not been saved by our own good works, we cannot be lost by our bad works. So we can't be saved by doing good things. We also can't be lost by going off the rails and disobeying Him. Grace comes in. And He means, grace means salvation completely apart from any merit or works on our part. Grace means that God is all for Jesus' sake. Our salvation is the gift of God. The word that in Ephesians 2.8 is in the Greek, it means to neuter, while faith is feminine. Therefore, that cannot refer to faith. It refers to the whole experience of salvation, including faith. We're saved by grace. It's not a work. Salvation is a gift, not a reward. Salvation is a gift, not a reward. Salvation cannot be of work because the work of salvation has already been completed on the cross. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is it's finished. That's right. It's finished. That was the work. That's the work. He doesn't want us to work. That's the work. And the reason I bring up having Christ in the front of our minds, because if we have all these freshly desires or fleshly desires, we have all these things going on, that's where we wonder maybe we're not even saved. I remember when I first became saved, and I was like, maybe I'm not. I had all this, I got that. But then I realized, it's not that I'm not saved, it's that I'm not, Christ isn't at the front of my mind. I, I'm not reaching out, I'm not even trying in this relationship. Have you ever been in a relationship where it's just one person trying and the other not? Does it work? No, it, it doesn't work. It, it, so if Jesus says, great, you're with me now, and you're like, cool man, we'll hang every once in a while, well, how does that work? It, it, it really doesn't work, does it? We gotta be, it's got to be together. Salvation isn't that work. Jesus said it is finished. When he took the cross for us, we can add nothing to his debt, and we dare take nothing from it. We are saved by faith. Think about faith. Every person lives by faith. When we open a can of food, drink a glass of water, we trust. We trust it's not contaminated. 
We go across the bridge. We trust it will support us. KC and I both drove across the bridge yesterday in, uh, in, in Belfouche that it wobbled the entire time we drove across that bridge. I was praying. I really thought we'd end up in the river. And uh, it's a really old bridge <laughs> out at a ranch in Belfouche. But holy cow, it was bad. But I made it across. When we, but we put, when we put money in the bank, we trust that when we use our cards, it's there, right? We trust that, oh, I got, I, got, I got direct deposit. I'm swiping my card. There's money there. We can pay for this. What if it wasn't? We trust that it's there. Life is a constant series of acts of, of trust, of faith. No human being, no matter how skeptical and self-reliant, could live a day without exercising faith. Church membership, baptism, confirmation, giving to charity, and being a good neighbor have no power to bring salvation, nor does taking communion, ironically, we're doing that today, keeping the Ten Commandments, or living by the Sermon on the Mount. The only thing a person can do that will have any part in salvation is to exercise faith in what Jesus Christ has done for them. When we accept the finished work of Christ on our behalf, we act by faith supplied by God's grace. That's the supreme act of human faith, the act which, though it is ours, it's primarily God's, His gift to us out of grace. When a person chokes or drowns, they stop breathing. There's nothing that person can do. If he ever breathes again, it will be because why? Somebody resuscitated him. CPR, something, right? They got somebody else, a spirit, a person who is spiritually dead cannot even make a decision of faith unless God first breathes into him the breath of spiritual life. Faith is simply breathing the breath that God's grace provides. Faith, breathing the breath that God's grace supplies. Yet the paradox is that we must exercise it and bear responsibility. If we do not, ah, we need to bear the responsibility. John 5, 40, when Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying the way to God was opened. There it is. The veil was torn. We can go. There's no more need for earthly sacrifices. One sacrifice, the Lamb of God, has finished this great work of salvation. God did it all. And He does it by His grace. Sin worked against us. God worked for us. But the great work of conversion is but the beginning. It's just the beginning of being converted. Now we'll dive into, or next week we'll dive into how God works more in us and how God uses us. But as you see here, we're going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to participate in communion. But before we do, before we do, let's talk about, you heard me talk about the kids a little bit, what it means. And, uh, and being in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by shedding of the blood. Do this in remembrance of me and as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. As we come to the communion table, there are three things that we should remember according to 1 Corinthians. First, we should be looking back, and I'll leave this up here the whole time. We are to participate. We are to participate in communion in remembrance of Christ. Though we must be reverent and must be appreciative 
of what our communion symbolizes. Communion also speaks of intimacy and fellowship. So we look back. We look back to the cross. We remember what Christ accomplished for us, and we are reminded of His love for us. Second, we are to look ahead. The Scriptures say to do this until He comes again. Until. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. The first time Jesus came to this earth, He came as a suffering servant. The next time He comes, He will come as the conquering King. Communion is an observance to remind us that Jesus will come again. Third. Third. Communion is a time to look within. We are to look within and ask the Holy Spirit to show us any areas of our lives that may not be pleasing to God. Once we, once we acknowledge these areas, we are to repent of these sins. Fail to do so and then to take part in communion is to eat and drink damnation onto yourself as the King James Version renders it. Or to eat and drink is to not honor the body of Christ. That's something very important. I mean, if I'm holding on to a few sins right now and, and I go back to that table and I take part and I don't want to apologize, it, it's my time to come in reverence, come in honesty. If something isn't right, this is the time to deal with it. If I go back there and I'm not right, I need to, I need to pray. I need to really just repent of my sins and, and give, those, give those over to Christ. Ask Him for His help in this whatever the struggle I'm having, whatever the struggle you're having, and then you go over, and it's just going to be sitting over there. No one's going to be over there to buy. I will. I'm going to be over there in case anybody needs, like, private prayer. If anybody is, is making a decision today for the first time to follow Christ, I'll be over there if you want to talk to me about that, we, or, or we can pray a, a prayer of acceptance. But come to the communion table, though, and enjoy. Come in reverence, but come in honesty. We should be happy. You should be so excited to do communion. We get to celebrate what God did for us. I remember growing up in a church, I think we did it like every week or every other week, and it, after a while it was just like, oh, communion? Oh, that's going to be a long service this week. And that's all I really thought about. It was just longer. It didn't, didn't, didn't mean much to me. I don't, I mean, maybe it was just because we did it so much it was redundant. I don't know. Maybe because I wasn't saved, and it didn't mean what it means to me now. If there's something that isn't right, this is the time. Communion is the ideal time to make a commitment or recommitment to Christ. Put Him at the front of your mind, the front of your lives. I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to come up, and we're going to sing a few songs. They're not going to put the words on the screen. We're just going to keep this up. And uh, you can just sit and pray. And, uh, and, uh, and then as over the course, of the course of the two songs, you can make your way over there or not. And um, if you feel led, go over there. If not, don't. And, um, and, then we'll, and then I'll come back up and we'll finish. We'll be dismissed. God, Heavenly Father, I ask you just to allow us all to see what's inside of us right now and allow me and everyone around me to just say, Lord, help us push that away. Help us go to your table today ready to make changes in our lives that will that glorify you, Lord. We love you and we just want to glorify you and we don't want to screw up every 10 seconds. Help us to just do that, Lord. Help us to work with our accountability partners. Help us to work with uh, just prayer to you. We, 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 we know if we're in the spirit, Lord, we'll be closer to you. So we need to draw you in and draw you closer, Lord, all the time. More of you, Lord, less of me. More of you, Lord, less of me.
Jesus' name.